0: My favorite quote from uh, Pride and Prejudice comes from Lady Catherine. She says, if you are speaking of music, it is of all subjects my delight. There are few people in England, I suppose, who have more true enjoyment of music than myself or a better natural taste. If I had ever learnt, I should have been a great proficient. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, you know, Lady Catherine was someone that... Uh, Talked a lot, always talked, and she didn't let her lack of experience or knowledge slow down uh, what she was saying at all. And I feel a little bit in her shoes this morning, preaching a sermon on motherhood. What do I know of motherhood? Uh, well, I have a really great mother for one, and um, and I married a woman who I'm a little prejudiced, but I think she's maybe top five of all time mothers God ever created. Um, I look out into this audience and I see godly mothers, committed women that are seeking the Lord, seeking to raise their families, seeking to always do better at being a mother. And more than all that, I look in this book, which is the true authority of any sermon that I preach. My, my experiences, my word choice, my uh, knowledge is not the authority of my sermons. This book is. And, and in this book, I, I think... Uh, there's wisdom to be gleaned. Before I preach a sermon, I suppose though, on motherhood, I should first answer the question of whether or not I'm justified on preaching a certain entire sermon about motherhood. After all, Mother's Day is just a kind of a conspiracy between the money-grabbing hallmark and the big floral industry, right? Um, but I think let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I think I have good reason to preach about mothers. Here we have almost an incidental reference to two mothers, and yet we can clearly see God's heart on the matter and God's thoughts on motherhood, at least as a starting point. Paul says in verse 5, I remember, he's speaking to Timothy. And remember where this is coming from. Paul's in a, in a cell. He's later in life. He's by himself. In fact, in, in, in later in this book, in chapter 4, he says, everyone deserted me. He's got Luke with him now, but at his first trial, no one was with him. And so he's writing this letter to Pastor Timothy. And he says, "...I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well." Sitting all alone in his cell, Paul's mind passes over all of those who had abandoned him, And then his mind rests on Timothy, his progeny in the faith, pastoring probably somewhere in Ephesus. And he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So many people that Paul had encountered, turns out they had insincere faith. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. But then the most amazing thing happens. Paul is incapable of recalling Timothy's faith without also recalling his mother Eunice's faith and then her mother Lois's faith as well Timothy had generational faith poured into him they were his faith was inseparable from those who first stirred that faith up in him that's that's the blessing of being a mother in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14 it talks about uh, the wife of an unbelieving husband and how he's made holy And how their children are clean. And it's a difficult passage to understand entirely, but I think what is being communicated is that the faithfulness of a mother yields a permeating holiness. A holiness that that spreads, that produces a household environment that blesses all who are in it. Ladies, do you want to have that kind of household? Do you want to bear that kind of faith? Uh, do you want to have that kind of favor? Well, that's, the sermon is for you then. And what I'd like to do is learn from three such households this morning. And we'll key into three fruitful mothers from God's Word and allow them to model biblical motherhood for us, uh, for each mother here and for each future mother here or potential mother here. And with each mother that we look at in Scripture, we'll put up two motherhood responsibilities. Um, two qualities that are life-changing, uh, motherhood attributes that are sure to yield that permeating household holiness that we read in First Corinthians seven, and sure to produce the fruit of faithfulness that we see was so effective in Timothy's life as well. So, a lot of mothers to choose from. We're only going to choose three. And for the first one, I invite you to turn back to First Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. Our first mother. Get there. <clears throat> On phones. You don't hear the pages turn as much as you used to. It's kind of sad, I think. But that's me. I'm an old guy, I guess. Now. All right. First Samuel chapter one. Let's go ahead and just read, um, starting in verse one. It says, "There was a certain man of." Ramathain Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Verse 2, He had two wives, Elkanah did, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two uh, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah went wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk, and Shiloh, Hannah rose, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the side beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. And remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am... A woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all I have been speaking out of my, uh, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your peti- petition that you have made to him. And she said, "Let your servant find favor in your eyes." Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And when they went back to their house at Ramah, and, and, and went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, "I have asked." For him from the Lord. So the first uh, attribute we see here. I think this is interesting. You know, this is the book of Samuel. First of all, and, and likely it seems that Samuel wrote it. Samuel wrote two volumes chronicling the establishment of Israel's monarchy and how God uh, used Samuel. He chronicled how God had used Samuel in the combined roles of prophet, priest, judge. And he recorded all the exploits of how God had greatly used him to preserve and establish a godly nation. And in this chronicling of his life, Samuel was convinced that the true story began with his faithful, heartsick, holy mother. And the first fruit-bearing quality that leaps off this page to me is that of prayer. Prayer. Do you think Samuel learned something about the power of prayer and the faithfulness of God? I mean, obviously this impacted his life. This is the first story he tells about his life is, I am a product of prayer. In fact, his name means um, heard of God. Every time she named him, basically answered prayer. And every time Samuel heard his name spoken, he would be, be reminded, I'm here Because I had a mother who prayed for me." Women, are you praying for your children? Do your children know that you are praying with them? Do you pray over them? Do you pray for them? Are you women of prayer? Um, That's the first foundational quality in godly motherhood is you pray for your children. And uh, my brother-in-law, his daughters are out of the house and he told me, he said, Ryan, you think you pray for your children a lot when they're little. Just wait till they leave the house. You pray for them even more. And so this mother's praying for their children never stops. It continues. Prayer is the first quality of a godly woman that is seeking the Lord and seeking to be a woman of God. The second one that I see here is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, Look at verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifices and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish His word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and skin of wine. And she brought him into the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then she slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my soul... As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And we can even see later on in uh, um, in chapter 2, verses 13 through 20, we see some more of the details where she would come annually and bring him new clothes. But she gave her son to the temple. What a picture of sacrifice. Of all the qualities that depict motherhood, none captures it more fully than the word sacrifice. Mothers sacrifice for their children. Just think about the process. You can't, you cannot become a mother without sacrifice. Just compare motherhood to fatherhood for just a moment. Can we do that? What is the transition from a husband becoming a father? Well, he has some part in making the baby, and that's generally pretty pleasant. And then, nothing. His life is unchanged. For the next nine months, he just keeps doing whatever he had done before. And then the next thing he knows, they're slapping him on the back, giving him a cigar, taking pictures with the beautiful baby. Look at you, you're a father now. Congratulations. And what is a mother? Transition from a wife to a mother. Generally, I think I've got this right, the first indication, one of the first indications that you're going to have a baby is you get violently ill. And not just once, it happens so often, they they call it morning sickness, because it happens every single morning. And then your body begins to change, transform, in a way that the woman spends the rest of her life trying to recover from. Her bladder gets crushed. Her organs get shifted. Her feet swell. Her hormones become a volatile cocktail of unpredictable emotions, desires, tastes. All of this before she even has the baby. Then she has to have the baby. She has to squeeze a human being out of her body. It's like pushing a coconut through a cocktail straw. So all you people out there with big skulls, make sure you praise your mother this morning and thank her. And then after that, She sacrifices everything. No more does she have a full night's sleep. No more does she have an uninterrupted meal. No more does she have independence. This baby is attached to her. The baby's survival is, is dependent upon literally sucking the life out of its mother. And this continues for years and years and years. What a picture of sacrifice. That is sacrifice. And... A mother is the epitome of sacrifice. And can I say, mothers, if you sacrifice without resentment, you are teaching your children deep truths about the gospel. I think of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, where it says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, in this thing I'm about to tell you, the love of God was made clear and open among us human beings. We all know that God loves us because of this. What? Because he sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. The only, the best way that we know of the Father's love for us is the sacrifice of sending His Son. And your children know that you love them if you sacrifice without resentment. And you're giving them a picture, a living, experiential picture of the gospel that will resonate with them for the rest of their life. Your sacrifice does not go unnoticed. God notices, and He's proud of you. And when your children sit down to write the chronicles of their life, their story too will start with your sacrifice. And outsiders see the sacrifice and learn of the gospel glory as well. So we have prayer, we have sacrifice. For our next model of biblical motherhood, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Dial that in on your phones. Proverbs chapter 31. And here, first of all, we have a mystery. Who is this woman? But let's, let's read. Proverbs chapter 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And then she proceeds to give him some, some wisdom here. But who is this person? I think if we're going to figure out who she is, let's just take a small diversion in the sermon here and hunt down who this person might be. First of all, we have to figure out who Lemuel is. And you know we don't have any record of a king in Israel named Lemuel. So who might this be? There's a theory that this is Solomon. Did you know Solomon had more than one name already? Uh, David referred to him as Solomon. Uh, The name Solomon means man of peace. In fact, God gave that name to David for Solomon. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, you're a man of war. You can't do it, but your son will do it. And so his name will be Solomon because he will be a man of peace. And so they had Solomon. And then remember the first child that he had with Bathsheba died because he had he had committed sin, and that not every child that dies is a, is a judgment from God, but in this case it was. But then after Samuel or after uh, Solomon, God sent word by Nathan and said, his name is Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And so to David he was Solomon, to Nathan he was Jedidiah. Um, in Ecclesiastes, we're pretty certain that is Solomon. He is His name is Colet, which means preacher or assembler. Think about someone that assembles all the Proverbs, or he would assemble people and they would come and hear him speak. And so there you have a third possible name. And then in this passage, perhaps this too is Solomon, and his name here means devoted to God. Perhaps this was Bathsheba's pet name for Solomon. Beloved, uh, Devoted to God. So maybe that's the case. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is this. We see a third quality, quality here of a godly mother. And that is wisdom. We see wisdom. What we know for sure is whoever this is. Maybe it's Bathsheba. Whoever it is. Her words of wisdom stand alongside the greatest collection of Proverbs ever assembled. Here I can just envision Solomon in his old age, the wisest man that ever lived, uh, gifted by God, ruling in Israel, writing scripture by hand, collecting all the wisdom of God to teach to thousands of generations to come after him. And he writes this book of Proverbs. And as he gets to the end, he closes his eyes and he thinks, "Am I am I missing? Am I leaving anything out?" Anything missing from this book? And he closes his eyes and the words of his mother come to him. Oh, that's wisdom. I gotta write that down too. Wisdom. Uh, I think mothers, part of a mother's duty is imparting wisdom that only a mother can impart to her children. I think many, many a young man has been preserved from folly or harm because the ringing words of wisdom in his ear from his mother from years past. But not only wisdom, but also warning. Um, If we see here, she says in verse 3, she's warning about several things. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So not only is Solomon uh, inscripturating the wisdom that his mother imparted to him, but she's also warning him. She's giving him warning. Some think this might have been at the end of his life when he had let his heart go after other women and he was in the middle of his phase where we see from Ecclesiastes the struggles that he was having there and his heart went after other gods and she counsels him even as an adult and gives him warning. What are you doing, my son? Wake up. Think about what you are doing. Motherhood never ends. A mother continues to give wisdom and warning and counsel to her children even after they are adults and out of their house. Let's go to one more um, mother. The faithful mother's permeating holiness that blesses her home and all who comes into it can also be seen in Mary, the mother of Jesus. So let's turn Finally, to Luke chapter 1. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's consider Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The magnificent, the spontaneous worship of Mary forever inscripturated for us to learn from. And here we see the fifth quality of a godly mother. Worship. Worship. She spontaneously worships. And the first thing she says is, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do your children see you worship? And, and here we have worship kind of defined. Magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God her savior. Do you amplify God in your home? Do you bring attention to who God is in your in your home? And not only that, but not not using Him as a stick and threatening punishment, but rejoicing in Him as a source of joy. We see that in Mary's worship. She magnifies Him. She rejoices in Him. And not only that, but in her worship, she brings attention to all the attributes and actions of God. Look what she says. Um, He's looked on the humblest state of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He... Who is mighty, has done great things for me. He's a mighty God. He's a doer of great things. His mercy is for those who fear Him. He's a merciful God. He's a God to be feared. From generation to generation, He has shown strength. With His arm, He's a God that comes through. We can trust in Him. We believe that He is strong. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. God's a provider. He provides to those who are humble. These are all things that Mary um, rejoiced in, things that she worshipped. Do you think this is the only time she brought this up? Do you think that Jesus as he was raised, and his siblings as they were raised. Do you think this characterized the kind of woman that Mary was? I do. And think about, mothers, what your ultimate responsibility is. Ultimately, your goal is to raise up children to become independent adults who are co-worshippers of God with you. They need to see you worship. They need to know that their mothers worship God. And not only that, we also see Mary's faith. Look at verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary knew that this baby was the salvation of Israel as promised all the way back to Abraham. She knew this was the fulfillment of the covenant. And if you don't guide your child to her child you're forfeiting the most important obligation you have towards your child. You need to lead them to the gospel. When you live this out, when you live worship, when you live faith, when you live the gospel, you're teaching it to your children. You're showing it to them. You're leading them to faith that will last for generations to come. And as I look at this list, prayer, sacrifice, wisdom, warning, worship, faith, we see kind of a a progressive, we see... As the child develops and gets older, first all you're doing is praying and sacrifices. And then, and then eventually you start imparting wisdom and warning to these children. And then as they become adults now, you've led them into worship and faith just as Timothy's mother led him and her mother led her. I think I think it was Oscar Wilde. I'm not sure. I tried to find it and I couldn't find the quote. But my memory tells me that I think it was Oscar Wilde said something along these lines. No one ever loved me like my mother. And I've worked my whole life to try to deserve it. I think most of us feel that way about our mothers. I think most mothers would like to live such a life. But we also know that a mother's love isn't the highest love. God's love is higher. But your love models His Your faithfulness as a mother puts Christ on display. Your sacrifice honors God and your service produces fruit that will outlive you.